spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 187th annual Subliminal Session Podcast. Your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. I am so fucking tired of the cold. I woke up today <laughs> and it the temperature on my way to work was negative 14. Uh yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm ready uh, for something. Uh, that is fucking disgusting. Yeah, I Honestly, it was cold for for me enough like to I don't know. This morning it was probably like in the 40s or something like that when I woke up. It it warmed up pretty decently by about 10 o'clock. But no, I couldn't even fucking imagine that. I would I would move. I'm <laughs> You no did way. you did move. <laughs> I know. I know I did move. Uh but. yeah, I don't I'm just, you know, at least we're past January, which is usually the worst month, but uh I just wanted to warm up enough to like melt the ice. That would be ideal. Oh yeah. Well, that is always the the weirdest time is when it starts warming up and then the ice that's already kind of like, you know, layered on top of the sidewalks gets shiny. And then that's when it really gets slippery. Yeah. That uh that weird couple of days when it starts warming up. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to be uh Minnesota hot again versa uh, you know now obviously Arizona hot significantly oh, different but uh I'm ready I'm ready I'm I'm done with winter yeah I do need to make some time to get my AC fixed in my car so definitely need to do that before March because uh around what April and May it's gonna start hitting the 80s 90s and hundreds so <laughs> it's, it's coming it's coming like a fucking bullet at us you better uh call your local repairman then well, uh, not a lot of big events in Phil and our, I, Phil or ours lives here. Um, I guess we got, you know, we do got a couple weeks yet, but uh, the Super Bowl is upon us. Um, what do you, do you have any, like, what do you usually do for the Super Bowl? So we usually go to my sister's house uh, out here in Mesa and, you know, we, put some shit on the grill. Everybody brings food and we have a, we have a big thing. So we watch the games and you know, it's uh it's good. I'm not a huge like pro football fan. I really don't have a team. If I did, it would be Arizona, but they're not going to the fucking Super Bowl. Not, <laughs> not <laughs> they've had their chance year. a couple years ago. It's not <laughs> happening now. Uh, so God, you know what? The Super Bowl is kind of fun or whatever, but uh, it's just the, the eating like shit, man. It just, <sighs> yeah. I'm I'm already thinking. I'm already brainstorming what I should cook. I remember last year I made like meatball sliders. Fuck, Ooh. those were good. Yeah, some sliders would be fucking awesome. Actually, that sounds really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we it's it's such a variety of food. We got you know, like chicken wings. You know, make basically fucking whatever you can think of. 
You know, there's just a shit ton of food out there. So cheese curds made cheese curds one year. That was pretty good. Did you? Yeah. Homemade cheese curds. Uh, basically, you know, the frozen chunks of cheese from Arizona dairy and uh, like put up a recipe for beer batter, that kind of shit. So it was good. Can you can you get the squeaky cheese there? No, not really. I mean, the Arizona cheese from the Arizona dairy farm, whatever association, it's about the best you can get. It's it's not it's not as good like the most average cheese curds that you get in Iowa or Wisconsin, Minnesota, that area are better than the best ones here. So I don't even know. You know what I'm talking about? Like that squeaky cheese. I don't know what the fuck it's called. That's just what we call it because it like squeaks when you bite into it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you get very little squeak here. Yeah, there's almost none. I don't even know what kind of cheese it is, but it's. I think it makes the best cheese curds. Um, usually restaurants yeah. and stuff, that's what they use. Around here, anyway. Yeah, so all of the cheese that they use here seems to be that mostly use, like, white cheese. And it's 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 more greasy. It's more oily. So it, it doesn't really hold up well. It explodes out of the breading. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's not as good. Definitely not. Yeah. Not going to not going to make it work. It so, wouldn't. No, it wouldn't fly in Madison. That's for sure. So are you yourself making something to bring over there? Uh, probably. I usually usually do. If I don't buy it from the, I'll make something and bring it over. So Can do you, like uh, one year I did like a big meat tray, like meat crackers, cheese, okay. all that stuff. So always good. Yeah. Chips you, and dip, that kind of stuff. Like some sides. Whatever. Are you are you a fan of prosciutto? No, I don't know. I, I maybe I maybe I've had it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I just eat what people put in front of me. I, you would you would know. You you would know if it's prosciutto because it's like it's like ham. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like ham, but I think it's aged a lot longer and then it's almost I don't want to say gummy like, but it's kind of like that. You you would know if you had it. It's it's uh kind of expensive, so Okay. Yeah. No. Maybe I might. I mean, out at these fucking the not pubs. Uh, what do you call them? The tavern, the tavern style bars that they have out here. They have some pretty classy food sometimes. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you ever get a like an expensive charcuterie board, they might. It might come on that. Was it you who was saying there was like a whole restaurant that was a charcuterie board restaurant? <laughs> No. Okay. (laughs) That must have been somebody else. I was just probably somebody else. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know if I could see you um, going into a charcuterie board restaurant. Maybe I. You know. I. I don't know. You don't seem like a wine and charcuterie board guy. I would be getting shit faced off the wine and then loudly mock everyone (laughs) in that fucking establishment. So that's exactly what I would do. All right. Well, that's enough charcuterie board talk. Are you are you ready? And that's, a, that's enough for charcuterie corner. Yeah, <laughs> we are going to start a charcuterie board podcast probably in 2024. But uh, hold on. Hold on to your seats for that. But uh, are you are you ready for this week's yeah. episode? Let's hit it. All right. On this week's edition of Sub D, we will be talking about a few companies 
that truly embodied the spirit of capitalism. Now, as Americans, this doesn't sound like anything out of the ordinary. Most big companies are greedy, but at the very least, there are a few lines that they won't cross, or at least we assume they won't. Well, today we are going to be talking about a couple of companies still that are currently in business and you probably have bought products from them that were actively doing business with Nazi Germany during World War II. Um, they, they wouldn't let, you know, mass genocide stand in the way of, of good profits that they were making. So um, I know you and I, you know, both... God, even when we were working at that pizza shop, we we talk shit about uh, greedy companies. You know, it's kind of been yeah. some uh, uh, whatever. It's something we've it's been always, a theme. Yeah, yeah, a theme. That's what I was thinking of. So, uh, are you without spoiling anything here? Are Ooh. are you familiar with any like of this sort of activity? Yes, I am. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. Basically, not to get too much into it, um, there was a pretty heavy Im- like German influence, especially in the Midwest, like during the like late 1800s, you know, to the like mid 1900s, mid 20th century. So there was a there was a lot of it wasn't it's not like there was a, a like worry about an overthrow, but there was actually a lot of sympathy towards like Germany like coming into world war two. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. but when, when people found out about the, like the Holocaust and when, you know, kind of the news stories came back about them bombing England and, you know, sweeping through France, then it kind of like turned, you know, like the, uh, the pro American, a lot of these were like second and third generation Americans, like German, you know, parents or grandparents. So, they had been in America long enough that was like, oh, well, I'm an American first, you know, even though a lot of them might have spoken both. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the once you get to be about, you know, third or fourth generation, that shit's pretty much gone. So, well, I I was told so my my uh, my mom's dad, um, he, he's been dead for quite a few years now, but uh, I was told that. When he was young, him and his family basically spoke ex- exclusively German, right? Mm. Um, and then when World War One broke out, it they all pretended like they weren't German because there was a lot of <laughs> hatred yeah. directed towards them. So, uh, which I guess kind of happens whenever there's a, a conflict of that nature. So, yeah, there were there were a lot of last names a change in. Uh, during that time frame um but yeah it's like okay so there were entire so you know how a lot of populations like a lot of migrant populations will all kind of like come to the same place like decorah in iowa decorah iowa was known for like scandinavians and then there's some towns that are like known for like irish or czech there were a lot of towns that were like predominantly german and a lot of their like street signs were in english and german a lot of like a lot of schools were like just, you know, only smoke German in class, like classes. So there were like, you know, quite a few enclaves, I guess you could call them. But that shit did start to turn around, um, you know, basically once TV comes around, everyone 
starts learning English yeah. pretty much. Yeah, but very true. Radio and radio and TV made pretty quick work of uh, of all that. So right, exactly. Well, uh, we'll start off here. Um, basically, we're going to start the episode with probably I would say one of the most iconic beverage companies that have ever existed, especially in the United States, uh, Coca Cola. Okay. In the year 1933, the year Adolf Hitler came to power, the German division of Coca-Cola at that time had sold just over 100,000 cases of said beverage. Now, sometime in the 30s, a man by the name of Max Keith would take over the German division of Coca-Cola and he really revolutionized the marketing and the um the branding and stuff. And he, as we'll find out, uh, they, they called him the second Fuhrer sometimes. So he, he's not, (laughs) he's not the nicest guy. Okay. Uh, now Max Keith, one of his first big launches for German Coca-Cola was to mass market the product during the 1936 Olympics, which was being hosted in Berlin. And that became a very successful launching point for Coca-Cola in Nazi Germany. A large number of German athletes as well won that year, won gold medals. So I don't know if this, it didn't really say if this guy was like, took the German athletes and were like, hey, can you hold a Coke (laughs) with your gold medal to like really, you know, that's shit that they do in America still. You know, they have the athletes promoting whatever product they want and people be like, oh, I want to be like them. It can- have have these star athletes who haven't touched sugar or bread in the past eight years holding a Mountain Dew and pretending like they drink. Bro, this is 1936. You know damn well they were smoking cigarettes while they're oh, running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as they're as they're running a marathon, they fucking grab a fucking whiskey coke out of somebody's hand. Yeah, fucking take it, take a sip, <laughs> whiskey sour. <laughs> um, was the 1936 Olympics? This was the one where. The African American guy won the gold medal, right? And it like pissed off Hitler. That I was believe so. Yeah, Je- Jesse Owens. So it yes. was. Yes. So so if it's the Olympics where um it's hosted in Berlin, then yeah, definitely it, it's the one. Um, uh, basically he refused to you know put the medals on his over his neck, and um he expected there was one. It was a German guy who was like considered one of the fa- you know fastest dudes in the world and he thought that like his hopes were high that he was going to win it but he didn't win it you know so the Americans won it uh and then it was the big you know kind of a big event uh a big letdown for Hitler kind of deal yeah especially I, someone who doesn't take losing well no so i remember the videos of Hitler at this olympics and he was like rocking back and forth like a crackhead have you seen that video yep. He's just yeah, like an upset toddler. Yeah, yeah, he's like tweaking out of his mind, and it's just obviously we know he was basically a drug addict. Uh, so, but yeah, it it's a good video. You guys should look it up. It's probably on YouTube. Yeah, thirty six. I don't know if he was quite getting sauced as bad as he was during the like later years in the war. Yeah, but yeah, I believe that's when it started. When he started getting the the doctor feel good fucking drugs. <laughs> so doctor feel good. Now, when Nazi Germany started to invade different countries around Europe, Coca Cola started to run into a little bit of a snag because 
Hermann Göring, uh, Hitler's second in command, wanted to basically isolate the country, have only German goods, and he was going to go ahead and cripple most of the import business, which would have really hurt Coke because Coke was an Atlanta-based company. And it obviously fell into those categories. Now, the president of Coca-Cola at the time, Robert Woodruff, uh, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't want to lose any of that sweet, sweet income. So he apparently, the, the, the way they describe this is a little weird, but it sounded like he more or less, they said convinced, which I'm sure means bribed, a yeah. German banking envoy to meet with Hermann Goring personally and convince him to allow them to continue selling Coca-Cola in their country. So, alrighty, they went above and beyond to ensure that Coca-Cola was continued to be sold in this country. I'm I'm a little surprised that the German division of Coca-Cola didn't just change their name to something a little bit more German sounding. We will we'll get there. Hold on. Now. Okay. We'll get there. Gotcha. We haven't gotten that far then. All right. No. no, in my mind, I was thinking, well, of course, they're probably going to, you know, change it to, you know, the the right, Third Reich's favorite <laughs> beverage or whatever. But yeah, you, we're going to talk about some of the Coca-Cola marketing. Um, okay. I, once we, I'm just thinking like, I, I'm going to read out quotes from people and like when you envision what they're describing if you imagine seeing some of these ads nowadays your mouth would just be like fucking agape honestly but we'll uh <laughs> it's it's kind of it, it's bad honestly but uh we'll we'll talk about that when we get there are you telling me that 1930s nazi propaganda might be a little shocking yeah. for people to see yeah. now? holy shit okay well let's not say is purely nazi it's also Coca-Cola made these ads specifically to entice Nazi uh, Germany. So it wasn't like the, the country's like, oh, you got to put these swastikas on your Coca-Cola uh, advertising. They just went ahead and did it. So. Oh, so it was it was like it was real Coca-Cola, like American Coca-Cola that was yeah. sending them this. Oh, shit. OK, gotcha. well, OK, OK. I shouldn't say that. Basically, uh, what Coke would do is they had like the Coca-Cola syrup and then uh, they sent that to Germany. And then this these bottling companies uh, essentially just whipped up Coke, you know, kind of, I guess, like a fountain drink, you know, because it's basically sugar mixed with the water. And then you get yeah. your fountain pop. Um, I'm assuming the German based Coca-Cola division made these signs i would assume but i i mean i guess i don't know for sure yeah well you 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 would hope but it's uh yeah no i think coca-cola basically as long as you have that that sugar so if you ever if you've ever worked in a restaurant you know that basically coca-cola all that it is coming out of a fountain machine is a large bag of syrup and it's also hooked up to a big bottle of uh, like fizzy water. Yeah, carbonated and water. It, carbonated water. And it mixes that shit together and comes out of your little tap. Right. So, yeah. Now, uh, continuing on here. Additionally, in 1937, Coca-Cola ran into another problem. A German-based soda maker, which was a competitor, 
had traveled to the United States and they noticed that the glass bottles of Coca-Cola had writing in Hebrew on them, on them, which was basically there to indicate that Coca-Cola was kosher. Now, the rival company let it get out to, to Germany that there was a Jewish uh, man by the name of Harold Hirsch who was on the board of executives at Coca-Cola. Now, in Germany, this is no joke, when they found this out, literally the sales plummeted. This is how anti-Semitic they were. Now, Max Keith, he actually contacted the president of the company, uh, Woodruff, and told him he should just go ahead and fire Harold Hirsch because it was, quote-unquote, bad for their image. Now, I guess we got to give Robert Woodruff a little credit because he refused to do that. So Max Keith decided he's going to go ahead and go in a new direction, and he was going to try to align Coca-Cola with Nazism. So he started to focus his sales on on attending patriotic events, basically celebrating Nazism. A historian wrote this, As young men goose-stepped in formation at Hitler youth rallies, Coca-Cola trucks accompanied the marchers, hoping to capture the next generation. So, this is... So, was this... was this happening in Germany or was this happening Germany, in America? Germany. Oh, okay. Because there was fucking Nazi rallies in America too at this time. I'm sure so, they. Okay. I'm sure they had Coca-Cola trucks at them as well. <laughs> Wherever there's customers, Coca-Cola is going to be there. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. It's just true. what he's trying to do is be like Coca-Cola is the drink that Nazi soldiers drink. I think that's kind of what he's trying to like connect the dots there. Okay, gotcha. Is kind of what I'm getting. But he uh, he gets a little more intense with it here. Max Keith continued to market Coke as hard as he could uh, in Nazi Germany. In 1937, during an exhi- exhibition showcasing Nazi Germany's industry, he set up a little bottling plant showing off Coca-Cola and made sure that he got a picture of Hermann Goring drinking a bottle of Coke just to entice more people to buy it. Keith would also have a little Coca-Cola convention for about 1,500 of the company's salesmen and bottlers and have a huge sign put up. A journalist would go on to describe it as a, quote, a giant picture of Hitler that covered the entire back wall, a picture that inspired frequent stiff arm salutes and shouts of Hail Hitler, Keith would at some point give a speech beneath a huge Coca-Cola banner bearing three enormous swastikas calling for a massive Zig Heil in the Fuhrer's honor. So he is, this is what I'm talking about. Can you even envision this in your head? Like somebody doing this. So basically Hitler for Nazi Coke was kind of like the fucking polar bear is now. For, yeah. for world worldwide coke it's like their biggest mascot it's it's kind of like the thing like you you know it's what they, they want to be associated yeah with, basically. they spray they like right. squeeze it all over each other yeah think of think of the fun polar bears when you know <laughs> when it's winter time and you're drinking a coke basically yeah it's that's what the with wait, hitler do wait, do you think the the polar bears in the coca-cola commercials are actually like a dog whistle for Oof. Nazism. I don't know. They are white and yeah. very tall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of crazy that 
basically they were trying to make Coca-Cola the official drink of the Nazi party, just like Fago is the official drink of the insane clown yep. posse's fans yep. known as the juggalos. <clears throat> yeah. So. I, I was trying to think of the name of that, the shit they drink and you, you nailed it. Fago. Fago. Yeah. yeah. And if, if there's any executives out there who heard us say Fago and want to give us free soda, don't. Just, yeah. just leave it to yourself. It's fine. I'm, that shit's terrible. I've, I've had enough orange soda, grape soda, mm-hmm. what, the flavored ones that don't have caffeine in it for my life. I'm, I'm, I'm good on that. When I, when I didn't have money when I was in college back in Iowa, there was the Quick Star just yep. across the street from where I lived. And they had basically like giant bottle of Fago for less than a dollar. So I used to drink that shit. I've had enough of that for my entire life. So yeah, they uh yeah, they they still sell that. So yeah. I have seen it in these stores. Now continuing on here, in 1938, when Hitler successfully took over Austria, Max Keith and Robert Woodruff decided it would be a proper time to argue over who was going to collect the profits from the newly occupied Austria instead of thinking about, you know, anything else that was going on. They were just Worried about who's who's going to get this money from the new customers. Uh, Robert Woodruff, you know, he he overpowered Max Keith, and he decided I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take all that all that profit. Now, Coke had apparently gotten so popular that one of Hitler's favorite activities was to drink a Coke and watch the movie Gone Gone with the Wind. Okay. Never seen it. It's like four hours long. I don't, maybe I'll have to watch. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it a really long time ago, but I was a little kid. So I was in and out. Just, it was on in the background, basically, uh, while we were all, you know, hanging out at the babysitters. They would put on like movies that they liked and then just kind of like make sure we didn't die, basically, in the background. <laughs> Pretty much <laughs> boomer, basically the the boomer way of taking care of yeah. kids. Yeah. So. Hey. Babysitter's number one job is to make sure the kids don't die. So I guess. But they, did they die? No, no they, they didn't die. They didn't die. Yeah. So, I'm, a, I'm a great babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Nazi Germany continued to just expand and overtake all these countries, Max Keith worked with the Third Reich and was eventually granted the title of supervisor of all soft drink plants in Germany, which included all the territories they had now. Uh, taken over. These uh, countries included Italy, France, Holland, Luxembourg, Belgium, and Norway. Coca-Cola Germany sold 4.5 million cases of Coca-Cola product that same year. So they started 100,000. Now they're up to 4.5 million. Quite and a that jump. Was, yeah, that, I mean, they had collected all that territory by, I think, 1940 1941 um obviously italy and all of its you know lands they kind of sounds like they're melding in there yeah yeah, yeah. um i mean basically italy became a vassal state of germany after it was pretty much realized that italy was incompetent militarily but yeah it's it's amazing actually so whenever you look at a map of world war ii and you see that big block of countries that germany had during the middle of the war that's pretty much like where they were selling like German Coca-Cola was selling their products and the Americans were dipping into these profits as that Robert Woodruff guy. He's the American president of Coke. Yep. Right. Yes, he is. Okay. Yeah. 
now so he's still dipping in. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he is. Now I want to uh, bookmark bookmark that number because as far as like the research I was um, kind of looking at is those sales numbers are before America joined the war, and then as we'll, we're going to talk about America joining the war here in just a second, um, that's when this Max Keith kind of goes a little rogue. Um, okay. So those sales are basically with the assist or with American Coca-Cola, like giving them the syrup more or less. So, um, he still sells a lot as we'll hear here, but, uh, but yeah, like you kind of alluded to earlier, Max Keith kind of going to go ahead and create his own little product here. So, but uh, I'll just get into that now, Max Keith, like I said, he'd been getting shipped untold amounts of Coca-Cola syrup from America the entire time. Uh, he was worried that it was going to become even more difficult to acquire said syrup when America, or I guess Germany, declared war on America, right? That's how that went. So Max Keith decided he was going to go ahead and find a new way to make Coke within Germany. So using, I guess it was industrial byproducts such as whey and apple pulps, he created a new soda called Fanta, which... <laughs> I swear to God, which from what they say, basically tasted very close to the original Coca-Cola without having. So once America officially entered the war and there were, you know, I'm air quoting here, laws against America, you know, sending shit to Germany. um, This Fanta became the mainstay in the German state. It's basically all you could get. uh, And apparently the U.S. Army declared Alex Keith a enemy of the state at some point, <laughs> which okay. isn't a great look if you're just a dude allegedly just selling Coca-Cola. Um, obviously, you can probably about guess that Alex Keith claims he's innocent in all of this. But uh, but yeah, basically, once America entered the war, Fanta was just was just everywhere. This is what the German people and all the occupied countries, this is what they drank was Fanta which is basically knockoff Coca-Cola. Yeah, still around to this day. But it's you like can, an uh, orange soda now, right? Yeah, now it's now it's kind of like more of a fruity soda. Kind of yeah. like and it's got the it's got the Wanna Fanta commercials with the dancing girls. They make it seem almost like it's South American, not uh make the German Nazi origins Germany? are kind of going away. Yeah. It's <laughs> like how many I doubt many people know when they're drinking a Fanta I wonder if some Nazi guy made this, like in, yeah, ni- in the I, 1940s. I know, I know I had heard it before, but I had completely forgotten. I know, I, I knew in my head, like, they changed the name of Coca-Cola to something else, but I didn't realize it was Fanta. It was still around. Well, so. if you see the the um, bottle here on the bottom, this is a reproduction, but this is, I guess, what it looked like. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. It's just a glass bottle that says Fanta colors look like Coke. I assume like Coke looked on the on the old bottles. So, yeah, yeah, Fanta classic. Yeah, it's interesting. He he basically could get enough sugar from like leftover apple pulps, and uh, the way was from cheese. So it's kind of interesting. He could basically get enough sugar from that to recreate Coca Cola. Yeah. So you got to remember too. Um, so get like starting off. Like 1939, 1940, America wasn't officially at war with Germany. We were like 
quote unquote neutral, not yeah. really neutral. We were with England and, you know, once basically we were we were secretly helping the the English and also when, you know, when the Nazis invaded Russia, we were definitely helping the Russians uh, you know, especially later on. But and then once wars declared, then we can openly, you know, start all this. Yeah, shit. because Hitler um, declared war on America, right? But he didn't necessarily have a reason to. Isn't that kind of how that story goes? Yeah, they actually there's a lot of historians who think that was a huge mistake. Um basically Japan attacked the United States and then Hitler um going with Japan declared war on the United States. Like it's not all that sure if America would have declared war on Germany. So it might have been a huge misstep for Germany to declare war on the United States. It's one of those like what if story kind of like like alternate history type situations. What if like Germany would have just been like, oh, we don't even know what the Japanese are doing over there. That's you know, right. That's not us. Right. If they would have tried to do something like that. I mean, who knows? It's one of those deals. The thing is, like the anti-Japanese sentiment was so huge yeah. right after Pearl Harbor. Who knows if the American you know, public would have even wanted to go to like, oh, yeah, fuck Germany, too. You know, one of those situations. Yeah. It's like, oh, Germany didn't attack us. It was, you know, it was the Japanese over there. We'll we'll go fight over there because it was it was actually pretty unpopular for the United States to go full force, join Britain and go full force against Germany rather than have all of their focus on Japan, like right. in the Pacific. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know it. Uh, I mean, even it, I, I still remember from all the World War One stuff, they really wanted to avoid conflicts with any other country. Right. They uh, what did they call it? an isolationist country or something like that. Right. Is that what the term policy of isolation? Yeah. yeah, we were isolationists. We had two huge oceans on either. We had a, you know, basically friendly countries to the North and the South. Germany was actually during world war one, trying to get Mexico to invade the United States, kind of give us something to, you know, chew on for a bit. Um, oh, also I was going to say too. So, Basically, Germany is, you know, going full fucking like 1940, 1941. Germany is like fully charged up right now because it has all of these like territories that they are just sucking up the resources from. So maybe I mean, they they were missing out on oil because they were basically invading Russia to go get the oil. But like everything else, they had all of this shit from, you know, all these other countries that they were soaking up. So, yeah, 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 that's very true. Now, <clears throat> with the war raging on in 1943, Max Keith, he still of his Fanta. I want you to remember this. He still managed to sell three million cases of this stuff. So pretty, pretty good, I guess, for sales there. Uh, there are rumors. OK, now a lot of companies that were dealing with uh Nazi Germany here a lot of them use slave labor from like the concentration camps and stuff so yeah. there's rumors never proven that Max Keith was using that in his bottling factories but obviously it's impossible at this point to tell because clearly Coca-Cola is not going to announce that you know what i mean <laughs> no yeah, no. It, it, both the companies we're talking about today is a lot of like hands in the air. But like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying, you know, plead in the fifth. There's going to be a lot of that. That was a weird time. Who wants an orange soda? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to get to the point where Coca-Cola re-releases Fanta. 
um, and their quotes. It's it's very inappropriate. Now, after the war was over, Robert Woodruff wanted to see if he should allow Max Keith to resume selling Coca-Cola properly in Germany. They claimed upon their own personal investigations that Max Keith had allegedly not wanted to be part of the Nazi party, but they were forcing him to, and that he didn't allow any of the positions at Coca-Cola Germany to be held by anybody who is a member of the Nazi party. You almost know that's a lie right off the top. Yeah. Uh, listen, listen, folks. The only color this guy sees is green, and his only fucking thing was capital. That's it. He, no matter he, what banner was flying above him, the banner in his heart was fucking dollar Go hard signs. cash. <laughs> yep, that's right. While Woodruff most certainly overlooked a lot, I would assume what made them decide that Max Keith could be nominated as a chief over all of Europe for Coca-Cola was the fact that Max Keith went ahead and reimbursed all the profits to Coca-Cola of America that he had made off of Fanta. So okay. I'm nice bribe. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they're like, look. Give us the money you made from selling our knockoff products, and you can be the Coca-Cola's chief over all of Europe, which I guess is <laughs> which is weird because he clearly had ties to the Nazi party, and then they gave him a quite a bit of a promotion. Well, you know, I mean, he was pretty much chief of all of, you know, knockoff Coca-Cola during the war. Figured probably he was doing a good job. And I mean, it's if they were basically putting up the story that oh no no max keith he totally was uh he was anti he was actually schindler's list in it you know he was actually working against them you know in the shadows basically they're going to just kind of say oh yeah no no he's fine see we we have so much confidence in him we put him in charge of uh of uh europe coca-cola so whatever let the money roll in yeah he's like do you know how much money we'll lose if we lose this guy <laughs> he's got connections exactly. everywhere He'll start, a, he'll start another competing bottling company, and then we are fucked. Yeah. God, you want to hear something I think might be just as bad um, as allowing Max Keith to continue all this. In 1957, Coke USA would give Nazi Germany boxing legend Max Schemling control over bottling operations in Hamburg and was an ambassador, a brand ambassador for Germany. Uh, fun fact is Max kept an autographed photo of Adolf Hitler in his study at home. Robert Woodruff said he claims that Max was actually one of the good Nazis because he sheltered the Jews from them. That's that was their spin on it. But also, why do you have an autographed picture of? Adolf Hitler in your house and then claim that you were against them. Was this after the war? That yeah, he 1957. I don't know. I don't He might. Okay. He, no, this Max and Hitler hung out. I know that for sure. That is, I guess Max beat uh, Joe Frazier. Does this sound right? And they would like Ooh, watch the, No, not, not Joe, Joe Frazier. Lewis. Joe Frazier Joe was. Lewis. What's that? Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis sounds like, yeah, it sounds yeah. more like it. Joe Frazier was uh, Ali. He was Ali's big, uh, like, competitor, you know? Yeah, there, there's a story that Max and Hitler watched the fight between Max and Joe Lewis um, together. 
and I guess we're okay. laughing about it. Yeah, that would have been one of Hitler's favorite people is, you know, kind of like the showcase of German superiority in sport. That was yeah. one of his big things. Yeah, so. I I don't know. Do, do you think this guy would have actually helped shelter Jews from the Third Reich? Uh, I don't I don't I have no idea. Honestly, it's there was like we talked about what paperclip before. There yeah. were so many stories that the United States government just kind of put out of, about like the good Nazis. No, no, no. He he was a good Nazi. Yeah. Basically, whenever you hear someone say good Nazi, think useful. <laughs> they were a useful Nazi. Yeah. So he could have he could have been just a normal Joe who was just a boxing guy who Hitler wanted to hang out with him and you didn't say no to Hitler. He could have been that guy all the way up to like the most terrible Nazi ever. Yeah. But if he's useful, use him. That's one I, of the deals. I'm basically, in, I'm envisioning so. that in 1957, most of uh, the German citizens knew Max and probably, you know, celebrated him as a star athlete. So when they put him on the brand, it helped sales, I would imagine. Oh, definitely. A boxing legend like that. Yeah. Yeah. In his home country. Yeah. yeah. It happens all the time now. We think about all these companies that basically hire, you know, sports stars as, you know, they give them like executive, whatever, whatever, whatever. But they basically are just a spokesman. So can you imagine Hertz rental car putting OJ Simpson back on there after? <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, that would though, be great. Yeah, I that's what I'm envisioning a comparison. Obviously, it's very different, but uh, honestly, that would be a great Saturday Night Live clip like, you know, fake commercial that they used to run when they when Saturday Night Live used to be funny. That yeah. would be like when he got out of prison. That would be a great fake SNL commercial. It's OJ Simpson on the Hertz rental car commercial <laughs> and the family's coming up to get their car. Cannot believe that they're seeing him. <laughs> no. And he's got little black gloves on. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll finish off Coca-Cola here. Uh, in 2015, Coca-Cola would release Fanta Classic, which was a which was the ex close to the recipe that was being served in Nazi Germany. Um, in, which included the original Fanta bottle, which you can kind of see here. Their ad for this product said, this is an exact quote, okay? 75 years ago, resources of our beloved Coke were scarce. We are bringing back the feeling of the good old times. Um, <laughs> I said, no. Nice. This wow. This bombed, as you can imagine. Like, you can't say that shameless just fucking shameless like you know you know some fucking you know just coking it up but not coca-cola coking it up some fucking with the market researchers or the advertisers you know fucking three o'clock in the morning just got done banging a fucking hooker like doing coke just like i got it uh, i got it <laughs> fanta classic like they know what happened when fanta was being sold in nazi germany and they have the audacity to say, we are bringing back the feeling of the good old times? What is you gotta the matter remember, with you? You got to realize, though, inside these corporations, the spin is just constant. 75 years of spin, and they probably figured that Coca-Cola was, like, out there, you know, winning the war against the Nazis in Germany. That's probably how they spun it around for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I... 
<sighs> I just, I laughed when I saw that, and I'm just like, where is somebody to say, guys, this isn't a good idea? I don't know. Here's the here's the problem in those corporate. Once again, you know, assuming shit. But in those corporations, if someone high up enough has an idea, there's it's not allowed to go against that. So just like WWE, Vince McMahon, if he has an idea, no one can say shit to him. So, you know, you're going to have two guys come out dressed up as gumdrops. That's going (laughs) to happen. You know, if he wants it to happen, who owns the company now? He sold it, right? Yeah, he's I don't know. He's going to sold it. There was a rumor that the Saudis were going to buy it. But um, there's the Khan who owns AEW. People think he's going to buy it, but I have no idea. So the Khan who owns the Jaguars, the Jaguars. Yeah, Tony. Is it Tony? I thought it was Shad. Shad Khan. Well, the the so the dad technically owns it, but the kid runs it. It's the dad's money, but the kid uses the money. So it would basically be. His dad's money, he would run it kind of situation. Gotcha. But I don't think they're going to sell to him. So I don't really get into it. I, I did watch Royal Rumble because I love uh, that match, but I don't really watch it on even like a monthly basis anymore. I don't watch the show. I watch just some of the big ones. Right, right. The pay-per-view is the best. Um, yep. Okay. You ready for company number two now? Th- oh, I will say to finish off Coca-Cola though, Yes. So Coca-Cola also became big because of the United States military taking Coca-Cola like out in the battlefield with them. So basically like the camps and everything, like the forward camps, they were all sent like cases and cases of Coca-Cola. When the American soldiers came back from the war, they wanted Coca-Cola and it hit like a huge boom right after the war in America because of this. It became kind of like, you know, uh, not the face of the war, but kind of the deal where it was seen as like an American soldier, like holding, you know, huh. I'm just envisioning, yeah. you know, that Spider-Man meme where there are two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. I'm just yeah. envisioning like an American soldier with a Coke and the Nazi shoulder with a Coke, just kind of like, like cheering at each other. <laughs> I highly doubt that like, happened, but like of them singing together, like yeah. waving around a bottle. Yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, American. And a Nazi soldier with a Fanta. No. <laughs> and them coming out the same truck, yeah. basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, on to the second one here. Now, this company is a lot darker than uh, Coke was. Okay. So, uh, brace yourself for that. All right. Now, our second company we're going to talk about today is known as International Business Machines, or IBM as we know it today. During World War II, it was ran by a man by the name of Thomas J. Watson. The company motto was, if it can be done, it should be done. While this motto might seem like some horseshit you'd see plastered on a wall at any corporation, when we learn what IBM was involved with in Nazi Germany, that slogan gets a little bit more ominous. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I mean, IBM. I think kind of sucks. Uh, they put them in, in like every workplace has IBM computers, and they're almost always shit. Uh, have you ever yeah. noticed that? So you're thinking of like current IBMs. You're thinking of yes. you're like back in the 30s and 40s. Like these, basically, they were just like machines that you threw the big cards into, and yes. they would do like counting and calculations yes. and all of that. Yes. This was like cutting edge shit. 
back then. Yes. But Being I'm, able to do these huge calculations, you know, these huge count, these huge numbers up um, really quickly. Yep. So, well, cutting yes. edge shit. So, yes, it uh, you do have the card segment of it right we'll talk about what was on the cards but uh but oh, yeah. for in the nazi situation yes but i'm saying okay. now nowadays um ibm uh like I, I i don't even know what they do anymore it seems like everything they like make in current day is pretty bad yeah so it was they were still pretty big um during like the 70s and 80s the problem is when steve jobs and um Microsoft's Bill Gates, when Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were kind of like, you know, revolutionizing what computers were going to be more, you know, Bill Gates. But when they, they were like coming up with what would become like desktops and laptops, personal computers, a computer in every home and classroom, IBM really thought of just a computer as something for the business, something for business and didn't want like didn't want everyone to have a computer. They you know, kind of almost tried to hold all of the expansion down because they really wanted, they, they specialized in basically just business computers and they didn't want the market to expand. The same thing with like Polaroid, not wanting phones to have cameras on them because then their business would die out. They had caught a niche, made good money and didn't want to change. IBM was the same way. Yeah, yeah. But have, I, I'm what I'm saying is like, You've noticed, I mean, probably the place you work now, do they have IBMs everywhere? I mean, maybe their servers are IBMs, but no, it's it's all Dell. I mean, really? that's uh, like every company in America, pretty much like Dell's huge with businesses. Yeah. I wonder if, I guess I should have looked if IBM owns Dell, but uh, I know the servers are, and I know fucking all the servers at every goddamn job are slow as shit oh yeah well i mean it when i was in the military every computer i used in the military was dell it's just you know did, did it work properly no it worked fine okay. i mean they were old and you got to think how many people are in you know sharing these computers so there's like 20 fucking profiles going on at once in the background it's so. just it always baffled me when i worked at best buy because i'm pretty sure those were uh ibms and for an electronic store, how fucking shitty and unbelievable those computers were is just like mind boggling. Yep. Well, just like fucking IBM, Best Buy caught a niche. They didn't want to spend any more money because they were making enough. You know, profits were good. Don't. There's no need to fucking get better or expand. No, exactly. <laughs> they put our shit on the internet. People love coming to the store. <laughs> <laughs> they love being harassed by our our teenage salesmen. Come on, yeah, people exactly. love that. <laughs> now, the information regarding IBM's involvement in Nazi Germany is a little bit discombobulated. That is kind of what I've got through reading all through all of this. Um, but I do believe IBM wants to kind of keep it that way. They want to kind of shove as much information down as they possibly can. But basically, starting from the beginning, uh, we need to start with IBM Germany, which was known as, I think it's Dehomag, Dehomag or something like that. Uh, when Hitler came to power in 1933, IBM Germany would start to run, be run by members of the Nazi party, probably similar to uh, how Coca-Cola was. 
Now, the IBM headquarters in New York was well aware of this, and they didn't care. They were just going to go ahead and work with the Third Reich, and as we're going to find out, they will make them custom equipment for their needs, which you can about guess um, what the Third Reich wants these computers for. What would be your guess? What's that? What would be your guess why the Third Reich wants these? Uh, well, I don't want to spoil it, okay. Uh, okay. so I won't say it, but I was also going to say 1933 is kind of early, um, really like when the Nazis took over outside of Germany, people really didn't know. I mean, a lot of people were thinking that like Hitler in the first couple of years after he took over was good for Germany because he kind of jumpstarted the economy back up. There was a, you know, the fucking depression was going around a going on around the world and he got everyone working he got you know jobs basically he was building the military that's how he you know got everyone back to work but like hitler wasn't seen as like a total fucking monster around the world until maybe the late 30s i okay so it's maybe i should clarify then that they worked with uh hitler and the third reich through the entire war yeah, so that's definitely terrible. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah. No, um, it, it was not just in the beginning. It was through the whole thing. Okay, yeah. So them working with Hitler at the beginning is excusable. But definitely while, I mean, especially um, while America was at war with Germany. Also, when the rumors started coming out about, you know, what was going on inside of Germany, um, that was pretty yeah that would have been the stop mark um but a lot of it you know was just kind of like rumors people didn't really know what the nazis were doing up until they started freeing some of the people from the concentration camps i see this is what we'll talk about that but i actually am pretty convinced that ibm had an idea and okay. we will get to the point where they would have almost had to have known something was going on, but uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there eventually. we got a little more information before I'm, then. I'm willing to bet the counting machines were for human. Yes. So absolutely. Yeah, okay. So if you guys haven't figured that out yet. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically um, like you kind of alluded to the type of equipment that IBM will eventually not give to them, but kind of lease out to Nazi Germany. Now, the origin of this machine actually began in 1898, and it was designed by a man named Hermann Hollerith, and it was a card sorting system that used kind of like punch cards with numbers. It's it's kind of hard to explain, um, but... Basically, he kind of it kind of started with that, and then he morphed it into like a census taking machine, which would greatly speed up basically keeping track of the census. We still have the census here in America, and they did use it in America during that time to do the census. But the government decided that Herman he actually had a monopoly on these census taking machines, so they went ahead and put a stop to that. Apparently, his company kind of got dissolved, I guess is the best way to describe mm. it. And eventually it was kind of split up into four other companies 
who got the designs and were kind of making the equipment. But the biggest one of all, like the main one that uh, controlled these equipment and kind of kept evolving it was IBM. So okay. it it the card, I mean, I don't know if you know what they look like. It almost reminds me of, remember those, you'd have to take the standardized tests. Yeah. Like it, it's the got, Scantrons. Yes. It kind it kind of has like a shitload of numbers and then the numbers in a certain zone mean whatever they want it to mean, I guess. But uh but yeah, basically this guy designed the machine. These machines um they're gonna be used with the Nazis, but also they were very popular with the Allied forces too. Yeah, so basically it was split up mostly, I'm guessing, because of like the trust busters. Yes. At the beginning yeah. of the 1900s. Yep. Um, you know, JP Morgan's just fine to, you know, do whatever he wants, but you've got a company that does little tele, tele county machines. You got to split them up. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like they went after this guy, right? Yeah. And you had, uh, there was like four big dogs who basically controlled huge monopolies and they just kind of like, let them do whatever they wanted. Yeah. So the same thing happens when you go on any like interstate or high. So there's one guy, it's a 55 mile an hour zone. There's one guy going 58 and another guy going 120. Which one's the cop going to pull over? The guy going 58. Yeah. It's easier. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Very true. The guy going 130, like, oh shit. I don't know if I could catch him if I wanted to. Hey, look, 58. That's breaking the law. Pull him over. Oh, good. You hit your quota today. Awesome. You know, and then he wrote up that guy for a ticket for going a hundred and some miles an hour, probably. Well, no, he probably harassed him and then maybe pulled a gun out on him. <laughs> he probably. But no, he, he gave him a ticket for, you know, he was going 58. He said he was going 63. So the ticket's going to say 65. And, you know, the guy going 130 never gets caught because no, no one's going to chase him. What do they have a fucking helicopter? You know, and you're very true. Very true. Yeah. Some cops will try it, I'm sure, but... uh Oh, yeah. Well, I should say some fucking... Uh, some places around the country and around the world, too, have really fast cop cars, and they actually like to... like the challenge. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So... You know what? It's fun to drive fast, so, I mean, I guess you can't blame them for that, but... uh Oh, yeah. Now, when Hitler came into power, almost immediately, he wanted to identify and very quickly destroy all of Germany's Jewish population. Um, basically, he he didn't allow them to have jobs, didn't, doctors, stuff like that. That was kind of my understanding. That was like the first step, right? But he didn't have yeah. a system in place that made it easy for them to identify any of the quote-unquote undesirables of their society so sometime in the year he was elected, 1933, Hitler wanted to do a census of all of Germany so he could kind of get an idea of, you know, basically track everybody, I guess. Uh, so IBM, they decided they're going to go ahead and accept the bid that was, you know, placed out by the Third Reich to use their tabulating machines. Uh, I should say, moreover, that Thomas Watson, the CEO in the United States told the German subsidiary, make sure you take this bid for them because they wanted that income. Now, yep. when I said the custom machines, basically they modified them. So these cards were able to include people's religious affiliations, kind of track their bloodlines, 
along with all the basic stuff, uh, age, sex, and and things that are on normal censuses. So yeah, basically they modified them specifically for the racial use that the Third Reich wanted to use them for. Um, Hitler was actually so happy with IBM's devices that in 1937, he awarded Thomas Watson the Order of the Golden Eagle Medal. He gave it to him and he gave it to Henry Ford, Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh. You covered yeah. Henry Ford, so... Yes, we did talk about Henry Ford receiving yeah. uh, the Golden Eagle Medal. Yeah. So, yeah, he's also... That's Ford Motor Company. I don't know if you're going to talk about him. Also a company that did business uh, pretty thoroughly with the yeah. Nazis. Yeah, So That's probably why he got this medal, I would imagine. So I will say, kind of the hindsight, uh, 1933, getting this bid, um, it's a lot of money for a company, I'm yeah. guessing, if... Yeah. The country, if the entire country is putting a system like this together, uh, it's, you know, basically looking back at it now, you're like, oh, shit, this is terrible. You shouldn't have done anything like this back then. That's just business. You know, here's like, the thing, though, not knowing what's going to happen. Also, you know, who knows? They might have like the whole idea of eugenics was huge back then. They might have thought that this was a good thing. Like figuring out who was what or what was what, you know. But here's the thing. And um, so they will continue. uh, Basically, my understanding is every country the Nazis took over and then occupied, they immediately had this census, basically the same one they had in Germany over the whole country. So while at first you can be like, okay, they're just making money off of this. It doesn't seem malicious yet. But and they had chances to stop collecting money from them, but they yeah. decided, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. When you start getting into the like, it's becoming apparent for German IBM, like what the, you know, the Nazi party, what the Nazis are doing right with their machines, then it, it becomes like, oh, well, they're becoming, you know, they're basically like accomplices in all of yeah so, exactly and the the german nazis were huge with the kind of almost a, you want to call it like the scientific method of or like the assembly line method of, of murdering ma- people yeah, mass just murder. in the most efficient way they could you know right right it's yeah i don't know we'll we'll keep going here and then we'll see i guess learn more about them basically the censuses, this census, and that these machines helped identify all these people was basically kind of laying the groundwork for sending these people to concentration camps, basically based on whatever information they could collect about them. Um, it, the cards would also be modified so they could indicate a number system for where said person should be transported to. Uh, which camp they should be transported to, if they should be assigned to work camps, if they should uh, be killed at the concentration camp, how much food they were allowed to have, and all sorts of different erroneous, horrendous things. Um, They have some examples of the codes. They kind of know the number systems on these cards. Uh, For Jews, it was a number eight. The code for gypsies was 12. General executions were coded as a 4. Death in the gas chamber was coded as a 6. 
And each of the concentration camps also had like a double digit number to show which concentration camp they should be sent to. So they, the thing is, is like if they're modifying these machines to have this information and the, uh, the systems that like store the cards, I don't remember what they, you know what I'm talking about. They're like kind of files that hold all these cards about people. Like, how do you not know? I mean, we're going to, I'm going to talk about the next part gets even worse, but it, I just don't see how they wouldn't know what's being printed on these cards. Well, I mean, if you, the design of it right off the bat, it kind of sounds like they were just setting up parameters. Basically, like it was almost like empty slots for them to mean something later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose that's so. True. I could see that situation. Um, but yeah, what it turned into, if, if they were kind of seeing what was like, like what these numbers stood for, like what they were being used for, then to still work with it, then you're complicit. Yeah. Basically. Well, let me, yeah. let me tell you this next part here, Phil, and see if you feel like they're complicit. Okay. So yeah. as I said, these IBM card machines, tabulators were distributed all over Germany, all over the ta- uh, territories occupied by Nazi Germany. Uh, they were put at different train depots so they would know basically where to ship all of the the people, they, the prisoners. Um, ev- they said all the concentration camps had these card machines on them as well. Now, what's interesting is these machines, IBM refused to straight out sell them to the Nazi government. They only leased these machines, right? Yeah. Now, because they were leased... They they often were prone to break quite a bit, which meant that each machine had an IBM t- technician that would come on site every single month and fix these things. Okay, which meant Ooh. the maintenance people were coming directly to the concentration camps. Okay, I don't know how. If they have to fix these machines every month and they have to go to the site where they are, how do yeah. they not know what's going on? They have to go not only to the train station, see people being forced onto these trains, yeah. but also to the concentration camps. Yeah. Some fucking some fucking repairman fucking walking on like do 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 do. Oh, that feller looks hungry right there. <laughs> oh, I guess going to pass him by. Just step over, you know, these kids who just got shot the this morning. The huge like, hole of fucking tennis shoes or teeth or whatever like ah. This is what I mean. Like ha there's absolutely no way. There's no way they didn't know. Yeah. That the concentration the, camps existed at least. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, when basically the repairman's there to fix the machine so that they can figure out who's going into the gas chamber that day. Like the leader of the of the, you know, concentration camp basically telling the guy like, "Hey, come on. We got to go, you know. We got all these people waiting here." That's and it's I'm guessing you're not you even told me yet. I haven't read. I haven't uh, scrolled past, but I'm guessing that they're going to try to claim also that they had no idea what was going on um, or that they weren't complicit. My, my understanding is they they pretty much pretend like uh, nothing happened or they don't want to talk about it. OK, so gotcha. now to even kind of 
lean more towards they knew something was going on is Thomas Watson himself funded to have concrete walls put around some of their machines and the equipment just to protect them against air raids, I guess from the British. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it just seems fucking ridiculous. And then IBM Germany kept backup records of every single punch card at their main hub too. So they've got backups of every single card that's been listed for every single person. Right. Yeah. I, I, they made it sound like it's almost a warehouse of people's cards. It's, it's always one of the things. So I learned, I I know a lot of, you know, seen a lot of documentaries, read a lot of books, but in a lot of classes, it always amazes me even towards the end of the war, how much like resources and effort they put into these concentration camps, like into killing off these Jews, prisoners, all these people that, you know, like they didn't have enough anything to fight the war that was quickly coming to Berlin's doorsteps. And they were still like to the very end until they had to flee these camps, still putting an effort, you know, they had little kids in some of these cities shooting at Americans and Russians, and they still had fucking guards at these camps. You know what I mean? It's, I, it's crazy. I literally told someone today, you know, upon looking at all of this shit, obviously there's a lot more information that we just don't have time to talk about. But yeah. I, I was like, when this, it almost sounds fucking unbelievable that this took place in not that far, not that long ago in human history, like just the insane amount of just genocide and murder on a level that I don't know if they've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Just it's, we keep thinking of like, Oh wow, that was, you know, 80 years ago. That's not long ago. That's what Think I'm about how far we've come in 40 years, 60. You know what I mean? Like we're living in completely different times now. I mean, humans haven't changed that much, but there's still assholes out there, but yeah. you know, it's, like the worlds that we live in compared to back then are night and day. It's, you know, it might as in the, in the whole span of human history, how much different now than it was back then. It might as well be centuries rather than decades. Yeah. It just, I, I don't, it's just, it just almost seems like unbelievable that it actually happened. You know what I mean? Just, it's so, it's yeah. so fucked up and so crazy it's, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. Like, obviously, I know it happened. I'm not saying, like, the Holocaust didn't happen. Well, it's just, um, it, it just, like, just the evilness of it is just so crazy. Well, there was still shit, you know, horrible stuff happening in fucking, like, Africa, in Asia, you know, back just not even, what, 20, 30 years ago. There were civil wars all over Africa where... Ba- Pretty much the same shit was happening there, you know, mass genocides and not to the level of, you know, like the Holocaust. But I mean, you know, like this shit still basically happens where one group of people just doesn't like another group of people yeah. that you can barely tell the difference between, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's very true. Well, uh, continuing on here. So obviously, as you mentioned with Coke, once the United States entered war with Germany, 
Uh, they, they were supposed to cut off all ties with doing business with Germany at all. Um, IBM New York, they, they decided, you know, we're not going to stop this in, influx of money here. So what yeah. they did, <laughs> they moved IBM Germany's main hub to Switzerland, which I guess was a neutral country at the time, to allow yes. them to continue to do business in Nazi Germany. Yeah. So it's <laughs> what a cheap fucking move. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of companies who did basically this, in order to get around, you know, all of the bad shits, you know, the stink of the Nazis. They went to Switzerland just to. Yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty fucking cold there. I like I think this type of thing. Maybe I'll do more in the future because there's a lot of companies who did shit like this. But it seemed like there's a few of them who. They couldn't do business with Germany, so they just went to Switzerland and then did it that way. Yeah. Just so greedy. I don't... <laughs> you, you just don't know what to say. I don't... Can you get any greedier? I don't know. It's just... Well, that's the thing. Corporations like this, they aren't beholden to any one country. They're beholden to their shareholders. Yeah. That's to very, profit, you know? Very true. That is very... No. That's a good point. Now... Um, basically my understanding is there was rumors about this going on with IBM, but it wasn't like well researched. It wasn't kind of made public and IBM America has basically denied any responsibility for any of this still to this day. In yep. 2001, a book titled IBM in the Holocaust was published by a man named Edwin Black that kind of detailed all the all the stuff we talked about. There's a lot more, like a lot more. There's trials. There's um, judges who who you know charge people at IBM who were kind of working with the Nazis. All all uh, stuff like that. <laughs> and and then the judge got to buy a new boat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weird. A boat showed up at my house. It was really weird. Now. Apparently, even to this day, IBM has refused to allow access to their Swiss office files, the Polish files, the Romanian files, and the Vichy files. Nobody's allowed to look at them. In 2002, IBM Director of Worldwide Media Relations named John Bukowinski uh, was asked about the book that obviously was smeared the shit out of him and exposed him to the bad shit and the company's involvement with the Holocaust. Here's his exact quote. And I'm not okay. kidding you here. He said that was six years ago. The person asking the question said that the, the Holocaust was actually 60 years ago. And John just told him, so what, what is your point? That is, was his response to that in the book. Um, yeah. So clearly he, do, he, he does not care at all about, no any of this or accepting any responsibility at all. There's been lawsuits brought against the American IBM several times in regards to this, but they always just seem to get dismissed magically or people don't want to drag it out or some, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, IBM Germany though has paid up to 3 million in the German Holocaust fund for Holocaust survivors. They'll pay money into that but they refuse to admit any liability in basically assisting Nazi Germany with identifying all of the the people with the card machines and such like that. So they've yeah. basically just said they've gave the survivors money, but they refuse to admit they had involvement with any of that. 
Yeah, and the three million dollars that they paid was probably voluntary. I'm guessing that had there been allowed like lawsuits, they probably would have been uh, more. Had to shell out a lot more. Yeah, there were. Yeah, I I kind of watched a quick video about some of these companies. A lot of them. Um, have donated money to things like Holocaust survivors funds and stuff, but the the money that they've given them is paltry in comparison yeah. to the profits they made uh, helping or selling or doing business with Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's <laughs> just a little bit of goodwill. Just, yeah. uh, you know. Good PR. Good PR. You rob a bank of a million dollars, a few bucks, just some homeless thing. Here you go. <laughs> I'm is, a real Robin Hood. I'm a real Robin Hood. I'm a <laughs> we're of the people. Yeah, basically. So what do you what do you think about IBM? How do you feel about them after hearing this? Fucking bunch of assholes. Uh, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing is, they just when a company. I'll start with this. Just like I said before, 1933, there was a bid from the government for, you know, machines that they can make. So I can see in that instance, you know, oh, they need a machine that can count one to 12 and make punch cards. We can do that. Get that bid. Problem is, once the company is making all this money, they're finding out what's going on. It's the big thing where it's like, okay, do you, you know, do you say no and basically close your doors or do you keep going because you have shareholders, you have people who depend on you? Like also your job is at stake. Also, the Nazis might kill you if you stop. I can see like there's a lot of argument, um, but also doesn't make it right. Yeah. No, absolutely not. And the, the when I first started looking at IBM and I saw the 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 man's name, right? Thomas Watson, right? Yeah, I'm pretty positive one of their very modern commercials, the little Watson. AI thing is called Watson. And I'm like, if this guy was a Nazi sympathizer and you named that thing <laughs> after him, what are you doing? Yeah, I can't believe that they would do that. I mean, obviously, it's not like he was in charge of the we were just we just cut up the you know, magic of podcasting. We just cut a little bit so that we could like check this to make sure. So basically, I had a thought where it's not like he was the president of germany's ibm he was the american ibm guy even so i mean who knows if they even if it's on purpose that they chose watson because of this guy it might be just kind of the nickname that the developers had but still you know he's tied to all of this shit so but you know 80 years of corporate spin you can spin yourself out of that you know well well we we read that this watson thing is able to answer questions right can you imagine yeah. if they're like Watson, who do you believe is the greatest leader of all time? And then it's just like Adolf Hitler. Oh no, Watson, no. But um Or you ask or you ask the Watson machine about IBM's involvement during World War II Germany and it says nothing. Yeah. It's just like self-deleting all information. Um yeah, I don't it's just it, it sounds like IBM still has some of these files. Or at least uh, some of the cards like that were used during that time, but they they won't let anybody look at them. For why wouldn't you burn that shit? I don't know. You, I why would you keep that? Well, maybe people are watching them so they can't because I think they're in a <laughs> warehouse. So it's like if you see smoke rising, maybe 
I don't know. Maybe the government would step in at that point, but I don't know. It's just like I, it's been it's been eighty years. You could you could just have a small trash can fire and or an incinerator. You just build an incinerator in the basement, and you just every day you just feed twenty or thirty of them in there. You know, in eighty years, you could get rid of all of those cards easily. That's <laughs> it's crazy to think that they would keep them after all these years. I don't. I don't know. Apparently, these unless uh, they think the Reich is going to rise again and they're well, going to need them. You know, that might have been the final wish of Thomas Watson. I don't know, but uh, it it sounded like some of these machines are on display at like um, museums and stuff. So maybe if you go to a World War II museum or something, you'll be able to see one of them. Yeah, one of the pictures here has the the letters IBM kind of imbued on the top of it. Oh, that so. was on every machine. That was on every machine. Okay, yeah. so if you actually see these in a Holocaust museum, you'll see IBM. Yeah, yeah. There, okay, There gotcha. was So some of the information um, came from, like, uh, Romanians who witnessed these machines and stuff being used, and they claim that a lot of this stuff was written in English. Um, okay. So if that's true... Also not a great look, uh, because why would they be in English if America wasn't involved in it? You know, maybe I almost they almost made it sound like the repairmen came with a instruction manual in English. That's kind of what I, I sounded like, but I, I can't confirm. OK, that. like it was an American design for these yeah. computers. Yeah, See, it would be a little bit different if. Basically, IBM was just saying, listen, we sold millions of these things around the world. We had no idea where they were going. And then all of a sudden, the Nazis took over. They had our machines, and they used them for these nefarious purposes. And then their own repairmen, their own Nazi guys were the repairmen. We had no idea about them either. But it sounds like they just kept profiting if they would have sold them. However, they leased them in order to get that contract. So that's where, yeah, you can't. Just like you were saying, you can't fucking show, you know, you can't glaze over that shit. Pretend like, oh, it's just a business. We just sold them computers. It's fine. Remember uh, when we talked about McDonald's, uh, the fucking McFlurry machine is constantly leased and they won't sell them to McDonald's. Yeah. Same reason, because you have to have them repair the goddamn machine. Yeah. And that also breaks down, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> I just yet yet another comparison between McDonald's and Nazi Germany. That's, you know uh, damn well if McDonald's was around in the 1930s, 40s, there oh, would be McDonald's here. Oh, definitely. There'd yeah, be exactly. fucking Ronald McDonald with a goddamn SS uniform on. <laughs> with fucking lightning bolts on his yeah. uh, <laughs> face paint. I yeah. guarantee it. Definitely. But, uh, all right, well, we've been going for quite a while here. Please don't sue us, McDonald's. (laughs) Oh, fuck them. I don't care. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, if if anybody wants to reach out to us, uh, if they've seen any of these old German Fanta bottles or IBM tabulator machines, uh, where can they contact us, Phil? Yeah, with the exception of, uh, you know, Fago and McDonald's, potentially, you can get a hold of us on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up for anything. You know, it's great always hearing from you guys. You know, great ideas for future episodes. You know, the love, the hate, you know, give it all to us. 
Uh, also, really, probably even better way to get a hold of us is through our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, it's great also hearing from you guys on there. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts, minus SD Pod Phil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's Above. Thank you to everyone who's done that and reached out to me and talked to me about the show or whatever you want to talk about. Uh, the last thing we ask you guys to do is log on to iTunes, leave a show five star written review. Doesn't particularly matter what you say in there. Just write, type something, hit five stars, hit submit. We greatly appreciate it, everyone who's taking the time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even simpler. You just hit five stars, hit submit. You're anonymous. That's it. No writing, no bullshit. And thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that for us as well. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this little history lesson for the second week in a row here. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.